What's been happening in Gaza might not have been on everyone's mind, but it definitely has been on mine as someone who's been talking about Palestine for 10 years, so as a political commentator, but also as a person. And I will focus my episode on it because obviously, clearly, it's very, very needed. And before I tell exactly what it will be about, I also want to say like some weird disclaimer that even though I haven't really recorded an episode for a couple of weeks, you know, those weeks when horrible things have been happening, I was doing something. So I've recorded several videos for you and I'm linking to those videos. I'm linking the description of this episode and, and the article also that surrounds it. Uh, and I've recorded already videos on the concept of political violence, right? Because that is the context. That's what I have to talk about. I've talked about the very weaponization of context that we saw, um, I think many of us saw, uh, since the attack of Hamas fighters uh, in, in Israel. I've also recorded an episode on, it's an encouragement really, it's an encouragement on fighting uh, the desire, a very human desire to sort of shame people when we talk about Palestine, because we know that shame is just not, it's just not a good social justice tool. So even if we think we want to use it, it's just not going to be efficient in sort of convincing people to listen to us. And another video was on war crimes on the war crimes that are being committed, what war crimes are, and what governments are supporting them. And I will actually return to this point. I will talk about it in this very podcast episode. Also, I will say that I was invited to Euronews Serbia uh, to talk about Palestine for a quick interview that I'm very happy that I had a chance to do. Uh, interestingly, I am not from Serbia myself, so how it happened, it was just... Uh, by some coincidences, but I'm very, I'm just very pleased that I, I had that platform. That was my first ever media interview, and I'm linking to it here also, so you can see what I was talking about and how it went also. So in short, uh, even though there was no podcast episode, I was very much doing something, and I'm not just saying that to sort of excuse myself, I'm actually saying that because I've created these resources for you, for my audience, right? to share and you can still do that because I, once again, I'm linking to them. But so in today's episode, I wanted to talk about four things. I wanted to talk about uh, how the narrative itself uh, related to Palestine, what's happening in Gaza, uh, how it's being formed and what we really have to notice, what's very important to notice, deconstruct, or at least you know, to keep in mind and to be careful about. I also talk about war crimes, like what they are and uh, when we're allowed to talk about them and, and uh, um, just for us to know, right, what this concept is. So we're not just throwing words that have, you know, sort of a strong connotation there. So we know what we're talking about. And also we know when we can actually point to that and say that is a war crime. My third point, uh, third part of this episode will be on something that I... Honestly, I, I, I've never talked about, not when I would talk about Palestine in those 10 years of my political work. And I also honestly didn't think or I never thought that I would have to use. And I was very hesitant to talk about it. I was very hesitant to use this word. I was waiting to see what the, what the academia, right, what the scholars are saying, what the journalists are saying, organizations that I respect, what they're saying, and they are using this word. So I will be talking about it myself today. And that is the concept of genocide. 
I know I have to be everyone but me especially I have to be very careful my words you know I am a political commentator I don't want to sort of scandalize sensationalize and cheapen anything that I talk about because I talk about it because it matters to me and there are those dangers always like there's a lot to navigate with your language and you want to be uh, reliable you want to be credible that's why I was waiting until I saw the resources that I'll talk about with you today and that's why that would be a part of my episode and the last part will be on something that has been very painful to see very painful to see not new not even shocking maybe but I feel like it's been clearer even to more and more people and that is the hypocrisy of I want to say our governments it depends obviously where you're from but the hypocrisy of many governments when they talk about human rights and whose lives actually matter according to the actions and not the words right so that hypocrisy has been I will say painfully clear painfully clear and uh, it's not only that it's clear and 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 us and if someone has to sort of hold it, right, you have to hold space for that hypocrisy, it's painful. The real pain is in the suffering, right? The real pain is the suffering of the people who are being bombed now. Like, that's the tragedy. That's the story. But that hypocrisy it what really enables that and supports that. So it becomes very, very important to talk about it too. So this is what I'll do today. I usually start my episodes by saying, this is going to be, you know, a very quick episode. This one won't be. It will be a, a longer episode because there is so much to cover, because the things that are happening, they're so grave that we have to talk about them and we have to deconstruct a lot. So thank you for your commitment. Thank you for your time. And let's do it. So my first point is about the narrative itself what we have to notice, what we have to deconstruct, and what we have to be careful about. And obviously there is a lot to say about that. I have recorded uh, now a long time ago uh, an episode on uh, the media silence and uh, how difficult it is to notice the silence itself uh, when we talk about Palestine. So I'm linking to that episode here. But uh, in this specific case about what's happening in Gaza now, that is obviously indiscriminate brutal Israeli bombardment, how that is presented. Like This is what the episode is about today, right? So a couple of things I want to point to. Some of these things, I know they will be known to you. Some might not be, but I think we have to. We have to talk about them. The first thing, I am still inviting you to notice how much context is provided here by any media outlet, anyone sort of reporting or commenting on what's been happening now in Gaza. And obviously we have to talk about the Hamas's attacks too and talking about those attacks. And this is where that contextless reporting uh, was very clear, right, in some cases, saying, you know, calling these attacks, for example, unprovoked um, without really giving any substantial contextualization of what's happening in Gaza, what's happening in Gaza for a long time, not mentioning a siege, not mentioning a military occupation, not mentioning a system of apartheid, not mentioning ethnic cleansing, all these things that you would think that in any kind of reporting, any kind of journalistic work, they would be essential. And I'm inviting you to decide for yourself that if someone is not mentioning that, how you regard that media source. I think this is where we really have to make a value judgment and say, okay, this is who I trust then, or, you know, this is who I choose to listen to, or this is whose standards I have seen, whose standards I have seen, and they will not be my standards. 
So I'm inviting you, if there's an action of sorts that I'm inviting you to take, it's to reflect on that, to reflect on those media sources and if you want to put your trust in them moving forward. And I know that even you know, the most ethical media companies, organizations, they might make some mistakes. I understand some honest mistakes that might still be very costly. I understand that. But I want to talk about today more is about how that narrative is, we can guess, quite consciously constructed. So from all the misinformation that the media was very quick to, to report as true about the Hamas's attacks. So what was exaggerated? What was simply not true? So misinformation or disinformation what language was being used, and, and this is something obviously I think for any kind of reporting in conflicts, not really taking the side of an oppressor or not really taking the side of any government and what the government officials are saying and not presenting that as a fact. That doesn't sound controversial. And for example, what the Russian state media is saying, maybe, maybe those same media uh, outlets would not be reporting that as a fact. And if that is being done when it's the Israeli officials, what they're saying, I'm encouraging you to think about it and, and think about how valid this sort of reporting, how valid these statements, but also how valid this sort of reporting is for you. So that's one thing, obviously, we need to talk about the language itself that's being used to describe the suffering of one people and not the other. Still, still, as what? 4,000 Palestinians have been killed by the Israeli forces. Notice, notice how some journalists are saying people died in Gaza. They're not being killed, they die. The perpetrator of violence is not indicated as if, as if we don't know. Then the language itself, who are being called barbaric, who are being called <laughs> savages. Language that has a very strong racist tone, especially when it's used to describe uh, only one side, let's say, only the actions of certain people, while that brutality, brutality and the suffering caused by another people is described very differently, if at all. So I know I cannot cover everything here about you know, how the media has been portraying this conflict, even calling it Israel versus Hamas, even that framing how it sounds, I'm inviting you to, to, to deconstruct that for yourselves also in your head when you see what's happening. Does it look? Does it look like a war on two sides? Does it look like there is any kind of proportionality? What does it look like really? So these are some good questions, very important questions to ask. And I really like a quote by Nora Arakat, who is a human rights lawyer, so a legal scholar and an activist, this amazing lady whose work I really respect and I've been following for, for, for some years. And as she put it in one of her interviews, talking about exactly how the media is presenting everything or some tendencies, let's say, in the media. And she said something that really stuck with me. She said, look, yeah, look at how everything's presented. We are being primed to accept mass atrocities. We are being primed to accept mass atrocities. And it's horrible to say, but I think it's true. I think it's true, and I'm encouraging you not to accept them and to really inspect, to really inspect the narrative. And the last thing about the narrative itself, I will point to something that has been very... Um, very real in the past two weeks and that is the calls for anyone who would speak about Palestine to immediately literally the first question so many of uh, you know Palestinian representatives so many people who would be sort of representing Palestine so to speak uh, on the news how the very first question they'd be asked 
would be to condemn, right? Do you condemn? Do you condemn the Hamas's attacks? And I claim that that too is a part of narrative because notice two things. That one, are Israeli officials, are people sort of representing, so to speak, Israel, are they being asked, one thing, are they being asked to condemn also any, any sorts of atrocities? Is that question posed to them? How often do you see it? Do you see the frequency? Notice that. Are they asked? Or is it just one side that is asked to condemn those atrocities? And another thing, and this is something I also personally received, and this is what many people on the news have received, and that those demands or requests for that condemnation notice from whom they're coming. Because very often they are coming from those who have not condemned that violence themselves, the violence of the other. So they have not condemned the killing of civilians when the civilians are not white. They have not. And yet there is that demand for the condemnation that they, yes, hypocritically, that is hypocrisy, do not give. And because a condemnation is only asked when the perpetrator is one and not the other, so that question becomes a part of that narrative. Who we are asked even to condemn, whose violence is something that we have to vocally condemn, even though we were never for violence in the first place. <laughs> it's very easy. I can, of course, of course I condemn the killing of civilians. What is this question? It's a weird question. But see when and by whom that question, that demand is raised. The second point I wanted to address would be a very quick one, and that is uh, a very heavy topic, of course, of war crimes. And in one of my videos, the one I'm linking to uh, in the description of this episode, I did talk about it already, but I think it's so important, it's so important to understand what war crimes are uh, and uh, where the concept even comes from. So one, I'm not a legal scholar, and yes, two, I'll be simplifying this, of course, but the essence, right? Like, what's the essence? Like, what is a war crime? And so, basically, international humanitarian law uh, defines or sets guidelines. Well, this is what laws are, a set of guidelines, how wars can be, so to speak, conducted. Uh, for example, how civilians should be treated, how medics should be treated, how journalists should be treated. You know, it can be by a state actor, like an, an army, it can be a non-state group, like a, a group of people who don't uh, constitute an army, right? So how certain groups should be treated. Uh, there are also principles, for example, of proportionality. Your response should be considered proportionate to you know, whatever you're responding to. Uh, there is the responsibility to protect civilians. So you have to make sure that you're not only targeting civilians, but you're preventing civilian casualties and so on. This is not all, obviously, but basically some examples, right, of how these rules of war, how wars can be waged, um, what they are. And so if someone is not behaving according to these principles, then they are committing a war crime. So yes, targeting civilians is a war crime. Responding with force that is not proportionate is a war crime. And we also know that collective punishment, that is punishing the whole population uh, for uh, something that, let's say, you know, a, a smaller group of people uh, that you want to affect have done, we know that that is also a war crime. And so a siege imposed on Gaza has been a war crime for 16, 17 years. But it wasn't in the news that much, was it? So in my video, when I said your government, 
depending where you live, where you are, where you're from, I understand, might be complicit with or assisting even war crimes, the war crimes committed by Israel. It is not me using, uh, you know, sensationalist language. It's what's happening. And so legal scholars and organizations who work with international law, international humanitarian law, they have been saying that individuals actually can be held accountable for assisting or encouraging war crimes. And this is what the UK government has been warned about, and this is what the US government has been warned about too. That individuals might be prosecuted for assisting what Israel is doing in Gaza. So what I'm inviting you to do is not to be afraid to use this word, because we're allowed to use concepts where they fit, right? That's the point of analyzing, deconstructing something, saying we actually have concepts that we can use here. We do have the language to identify what's happening, and we have to name it. And war crimes is a concept that, if you're following what's happening, you probably have heard of a lot. So I felt that there are benefits of explaining, albeit very quickly, obviously very incompletely, what war crimes are, so that we can actually start naming things, pointing to things, and saying, this is what's happening. The third thing that I think we really, really and very urgently need to talk about is the concept and how we see it unfolding in Gaza, and that is the concept of a genocide. As I've said in the intro of this episode, I was very careful, obviously, obviously, I was very hesitant to use this word, but I also keep in mind that we are allowed we are allowed to name things as they're happening, and we don't have to wait for a certain kind of atrocities to be committed, only to then, retrospectively, to call it what it was. We are allowed to ring that alarm and say that this is what is happening. And that alarm, it's actually not coming from me. It's coming from a lot of people. And this is something we have to understand. We really have to understand. And I want to quote something. I want to point to some uh, excellent resources. So one is a public statement signed by 800, 800 scholars. So a lot, right? That There is a lot of scholars. It's titled in a very simple way. It says, public statement, scholars warn of potential genocide in Gaza. It's not a long document at all. I will link to it. And I just want to read to you the very last paragraph what the scholars are urging to do, how they're sort of framing everything. And that last paragraph is this. Finally, we call on all relevant UN bodies, including the Office on Genocide Prevention and the Responsibility to Protect, as well as the Office of the Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, to immediately intervene, to carry out the necessary investigations and invoke the necessary warning procedures to protect the Palestinian population from genocide. You would guess that for 800 scholars to agree on a wording of any document would be probably quite difficult, so I'm encouraging you to read that document, that statement for yourselves, and to really think about what it means. And two, another source I wanted to point to is an organization called Genocide Watch, and actually one of its founders is a man called uh, Gregory Stanton, and he's the former research professor in genocide studies and prevention. 
so he's a scholar, right? He was, you know, a professor. And he was the one who many years ago published a paper where he indicated, and I think maybe later, but like reformed, that stages of, of uh, genocide. I'm going to link to all of this information because I think it's very, very valuable. So he talks there about 10 stages. I will just read very quickly what they are, and then you can read the descriptions of the characteristics, like what that looks like, right? So we have one, classification, two, symbolization, three, discrimination, four, dehumanization, five, organization, six, polarization, seven, preparation, eight, persecution, nine, extermination, ten, denial. And the same organization, Genocide Watch, has issued uh, three days ago uh, this alert, Genocide Emergency Alert, Israel and Gaza. And I'm linking to that too. And out of all those ten stages, Genocide Watch, and I'm quoting now, considers the war in Israel and Gaza to be at, and you will see these are not all stages, but I encourage you, please see which one is the latest stage that they consider the war to be at. And these are stages, once again, out of 10, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, and 9. Stage 9, once again, is extermination. I point to these resources because I think, and I know that is a judgment statement itself, but I think that these sources should be trusted. And furthermore, not trusting them at this point is extremely, extremely costly in terms of human lives and in terms of our humanity. The last point I will make is a quick one, and that is yet another encouragement from my side to notice the hypocrisy that surrounds so much of what we're seeing, that surrounds so much of that narrative that I've talked about, and that surrounds how our government, sometimes definitely the US government, definitely the, the British government, how they portray themselves, what values they claim to be protecting, and what the actions on the ground are. And I think at this point, this hypocrisy, it just really, it, it cannot be clearer. When you have US officials saying, of course, of course, civilian lives should be protected. Of course, you know, uh, all lives matter, I guess is what they're saying. And then, and I've and even created a, a post about that. You know, one was a tweet from uh, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, saying, you know, all lives should be protected. We care about civilians. And then uh, the next piece of news is uh, a summary of the voting results uh, on the UN resolution that Brazil had introduced to ensure that humanitarian aid is, is provided, right? Uh, corridors created, like a system created to provide humanitarian aid to Gaza. And it's the same resolution that the US vetoed. You know, for me as a political commentator, obviously pointing that hypocrisy that is a big part of what I do, I wish that my commentary was just on how well everyone's doing and how, you know, proud I am of certain policies of certain countries, even though, of course, there is there is a space to talk about that as well. But that hypocrisy, I feel like if it was unclear to anyone, I hope that is just very clear now. And how much of that hypocrisy do we really need to see? And what has to be the cost of that hypocrisy for us to say, I just cannot trust, right? I cannot trust what this government is saying. I cannot trust uh, the professed support 
for certain values, for certain principles, because they're not being upheld now very, very, very clearly. So let's continue seeing that hypocrisy. Let's continue pointing to it. I know it's uncomfortable. Many things, many things are important, are uncomfortable. But you know what's also uncomfortable? What's more uncomfortable is to be bombed by a nuclear superpower who is defending itself from the people it is occupying, supported by some other superpowers, by leaders who come on TV and they are fine. They are more than fine supporting what the scholars are calling a genocide. This is where we are right now. And it's a very, very, very scary place to be. But I think if there is hope anywhere, that hope is in us, that hope is in the community, that hope is in people who do want to deconstruct, people who do want to know, people who are curious, people who care, and people of different religions, of different backgrounds, who say not in my name. And I really do hope that you are also in that group. To make this episode even longer, <laughs> I understand, I wanted to add something and it is not a political commentary, it is not a deconstruction of anything, this is just a very human point to add. It is my project and I do make normative statements and I do give myself the liberty to try to appeal to something else than just someone's knowledge. <laughs> this is what I'll try to do now. I know that you don't have to have friends from a certain group of people to be able to humanize them, right? So you don't need to have friends from all around the world to see people as people. I know that it's not needed, even though it helps. And I don't know if you have Palestinian friends, if you've met anyone from Palestine. I'm not saying it's needed to, to humanize people. But if you don't, if you don't have Palestinian friends, if you've never maybe met anyone or you just don't know that you've met anyone from Palestine... If you do one day, or when you do one day, I wouldn't like to believe that this person, you know, that they would ask you about it. But you, but you, you might think, what was I doing when there was a genocide being unleashed on these people? And you will have to live, you will be the one who will have to live with that answer, and what it does to your mind, to your heart, to your spirit, for the rest of your life. And I just don't wish that burden onto anyone. And I don't wish that onto you. So, thank you for listening. This was not an easy episode to record. And I understand it probably wasn't a very easy one uh, to listen to as well. So just thank you for your time. Thank you for caring. Let's not lose our humanity. Let's not lose hope. Let's do all we can. So it's not in the history books as an atrocity that we were all watching on TV and chose not to do anything. That is my one major wish and encouragement for you. And thank you again.